This month's guest on Write You a Song didn't set out to write some of country music's best romantic ballads of all time. In fact, he didn't set out to write country music at all. That happened because of a call he got from Clint Eastwood. But more on that later. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Steve Dorff isn't like any other songwriter I've featured on this podcast. For starters, he's been in the game since the late 1970s. But beyond that, he's not just a hard-working creative type. He's a hard-working creative type who also composes, arranges, and conducts. He's written hits for singers as diverse as Barbara Streisand and Mel Tillis, Whitney Houston and George Strait, Aaron Neville and Clay Walker. And his working resume is just as diverse with movie scores, TV themes, a couple of pending Broadway musicals, a spot in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and yeah, a few classic country songs you're undoubtedly familiar with. He's a fascinating man and musician and was kind enough to carve out a little time for this dumb little podcast. So let's get to it. Steve Dorff, now on Write You a Song. It's truly an honor to have you uh, on this podcast. No, thanks, Tom. It's good to be, good to be here. Thank you. The podcast uh, has been going for almost three years, and primarily, I have talked to um, just straight and true uh, Nashville country music songwriters. Uh, not a lot of deviation. Mm-hmm. You, on the other hand, are. I'm actually kind of intimidated to talk to you because <laughs> you not only have written some huge country classics, you've written. TV themes and you've written movie themes and you've written songs for movies. And it's just like the, the people that you've written songs for is a who's who from nearly every genre, Aaron Neville, Barbara Streisand, Andy Williams, Bill Medley, Christopher Cross, Gladys Knight, Kenny Loggins, Smokey Robinson. It's just mind boggling, not to mention country artists like Eddie Rabbit and, uh, and Kenny Rogers and, and the great George Strait. How the hell are you so versatile? Um, you know, I've just been extremely blessed to have had the right songs at the right time for the right voices. Um, uh, I think about that a lot, especially as I get older and, and, and I look back over the, you know, the versatility of, uh, uh, of my career. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I've, I've gotten to work with some of the greatest voices of any generation. And, and um, it's kind of what I set out, set out to do because I wasn't, I wasn't a, a really good singer, you know, God, God didn't give me that, that talent uh, in, in my throat. <laughs> so I, uh, um, I had better, uh, I realized early on that I better write uh, pretty good songs for other people to sing. And, um, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this for a living and, uh, and I've been very blessed. So, yeah, um, and, and but your, your musical. Yeah. I, I, I grew up in New York city, so I, I didn't see a tree until I was 14. So I couldn't <laughs> spell country music. And, and, um, and I always tell people, you know, I don't sit down to write a country song or a pop song or an R and B song. I, I just write what, what I'm feeling and, and, uh, trying to be relevant to, to the listener. And, um, uh, and then it's really the artists who, who dictate what genre it is. Maybe you, you weren't blessed with a golden voice, but you have had musical ability from very early on. You were like playing piano when you were two or three years old. Correct. Yeah. And- I mean, there was no question as to what I was going to become or be, um, from the, from the time, uh, 
from the time I remember, that's all I, that's all I literally did. I ate, slept, and breathed music my whole life. But it, it, there were a couple of key points in your career where you were offered opportunities, and even though you didn't know how to do what they were asking, you went ahead and said yes, and then figured it out. And if I remember right, the first one was like, was it about scoring a movie in particular or orchestrating, working with an orchestra or something? Well, the first time, yeah, the first one was to, I was asked to do a string string arrangement on a song I wrote uh, in Atlanta. I was in college, and uh, uh, the producer said, uh, it was a song I had written, and he said, uh, well, can you do the string arrangement? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. And <laughs> um, I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, um, But I went to the library and read a bunch of books, and um, and uh, <laughs> I could hear the stuff in my head. It was just a matter of how to how to put it on paper. And I ended up singing the parts to the violin players and the cello players, and that's that's how we ended up doing it. And the second big one that, that, that I talk about most is when Clint Eastwood asked me um, if I if I had ever scored a movie. And um, I didn't say yes, because that would have been a lie. I, I just simply said, uh, that's what I came to California to do. <laughs> and um, and he, uh, he gave me a shot. You know, he gave me that shot. And the, the movie was uh, Every Which Way But Loose. And, and that was kind of the beginning. Mm-hmm. The story behind the song "Every Which Way But Loose" was was kind of surprising. A huge hit for Eddie Rabbit, um, but they had another song all picked out, and Clint just he didn't like it. Correct, that's correct. Uh, there was another song by a a pretty big artist, and uh, Clint just wasn't sold on the song. And uh, at the eleventh hour, uh, I was asked to try to write something, and Milton Brown and I did. And uh, went in and played it, played it for them uh, the next day, and he loved the song, and, um, and it just kind of just kind of developed that way. We got Eddie Rabbit to agree to sing it, and um, it was a monster hit. I've always been the kind of man who doesn't believe in strings, long-term obligations. Just unnecessary things But girl, you got me thinking While I'm drinking one more beer If I'm headed for a heartache Then why the hell am I still here? I'm testing my resistance And it's wearing mighty thin I've got the feeling I should leave Before the roof caves in My mind tells me to move along But my body begs me to stay And now I feel the need To hold you close And love the night away While you're turning me Every which way but lose Every which way but lose Inside the fire's burning me In my mind you just keep burning me Every which way but lose Baby there's no excuse to turn me Every which way but lose 
did you know when you because if I remember right, you were like writing it over the phone, literally with your co-writer. And as you said, you didn't have very much time at all to work on this thing. Did you know you'd come up with something uh, of value, or was it when Clint said, "I like this"? Well, no, I, th- I thought it was a pretty good song as we were as we were writing it. Otherwise, I I didn't I don't think I ever would have played it um, for anybody. Uh, I felt like we had a really good good song, and uh, um, and then when we recorded it, I knew it was a hit. It just felt like. You know, the track was magical, and Eddie's vocal was great, and uh, just just everything lined up, you know. It was, uh, it was one of those that you can't plan. It just, you know, the magic happened. You seem like the, the type of writer and the type of artist that um, you thrive by not saying no. Is that kind of the, the case? Uh, I would I would say that's pretty accurate. I, I learned uh, early on in my career that if you're not uh, prepared to pick yourself up and dust yourself off a few hundred times a week with the rejection in this business, that uh, it's not the business for you. And um, I just had this uh, instinctive uh, drive or ambition uh that I, I think you, you have to have. You, if you, you know, if you wait for the phone to ring, it's never going to ring. You have to make things happen. And in, in, I think in any business, really, but especially in, in a creative business, you have to, you know, you have to have a pretty thick skin and you have to um, keep persevering. Um, and that's one of those intangible things that that I don't think you can learn. I think you just either have that tenacity um or you don't so this is primarily a country writing podcast and as you mentioned you grew up in in new york you didn't see a tree uh, until you were 14 um what was what was your first country song what was your first country opportunity then was it uh every which way but loose or or, or does no it go back no before? I, I yeah it goes back before i the first chart record i ever had was by a country artist named dorsey burnett and um, I had a top 40 country song that uh, uh, actually uh, Milton Brown, who, who was my longest collaborator, was uh, is from Mobile, Alabama. And, and Milton loved country music and knew all the artists. And he, he kind of got me into it. The songs we were writing, he, he was the lyricist. And, and so his songs, kind, his lyrics kind of went in that direction. And so uh, uh, we started writing when I was in Atlanta. Uh, I was going to school at the University of Georgia and cutting classes to go to Atlanta and uh, write songs. And, and, and because it was a Southern, you know, publishing house, they were, you know, they were slanting towards country music. So I, I, I was exposed to a lot of that there and, uh, and just started writing things that kind of, could fit in that genre. But, but even then all my songs had a little bit different spin on the ball. I mean, I, I wasn't writing hard country. I would just write songs and, and if they, uh, and when we demo them, if, uh, if they kind of went in that direction a little bit more country than not, um, that's what we were doing. Yeah. And, and, and two songs that I think really illustrate what you're talking about and kind of, you know, in late 70s, early 80s, you had a huge crossover country hits and two of the biggest were Kenny Rogers through the years and mm-hmm. Ann Murray, I just fall in love. Um, 
right. which was also cut by the Carpenters, but she actually uh, uh, took it up the charts. And those are songs that, at first glance, they're just good songs. They're not necessarily country songs. They're just yeah, great I never, songs. I yeah. Never th- yeah, I, thank you. I, I never thought of uh, to it. In fact, through the years when, when I was writing that, I was thinking Barry Manilow. Um, and in fact, Barry passed on it, and then Glenn Campbell passed on it. Uh, before Kenny Rogers uh, recorded it. And Lionel Richie was actually the one who found the song and uh, um, and played it for Kenny. So that was not a country song at all. I can't remember when you were there When I didn't care For anyone but you I swear we've been through everything there is Can't imagine anything we've missed Can't imagine anything the two of us can't do Through the years you've never let me down You've turned my life around The sweetest days I've found, I've found with you I've loved the life we've made And I'm so glad I stayed Right here with you Through the years I can't uh, And with I, with I Just Fall in Love Again, that was recorded by Karen Carpenter first and then Dusty Springfield recorded it before and heard it and heard it on on uh, dusty's album and uh was actually the third artist to uh, record it and she was the one where the magic happened dreaming i must be dreaming or am i really lying here with you baby You take me in your arms And though I'm wide awake I know my dream is coming true And oh, I just fall in love again Just one touch and then it happens When you started having a little bit of success with with country, um, and you had some huge success in the early '90s that we'll get to here in just a minute, uh, but it, it, were there any thoughts that this is the lane I'm going to stay in? Yeah, I, again, um, Tom, I I just wrote songs, and uh, if it felt like something that would work in in the country format, or great, and if not, then, you know, I would just I would try to stay in kind of a neutral zone when I demoed the songs, so that they'd be kind of friendly to R&B or it was a song I wrote for, uh, called Take Good Care of My Heart that uh, Whitney Houston and Jermaine Jackson first did as a, as a duet. Time can pass so slow 
Dan Murray cut it. The short answer to your question is, um, I, I really don't know who's going to do these things. Um, in, unless it's a song that I'm writing for a particular project that, uh, or with a title like Coca-Cola Cowboy, which, which certainly had to be a country song and, and was targeted, you know, for Mel Tillis at the time. I call collect on the phone. You say you're tired and alone But it sounds like someone else is lying there She said, don't call me no more Don't you knock on my door It's too late now and I know you'll never change She said you're just a Coca-Cola cowboy You got a Eastwood smile and Robert Redford hair But you walked across my heart like it was Texas And you taught me how to say I just don't care she said, just leave me alone. Yeah, but that, that's kind of a rare phone. occurrence. And that is about as stone-cold country as you can get. That song right there is a... Yeah, yeah, really was. Or Barroom Buddies that, that we did right. with Clint Eastwood and Merle Haggard. Yep. Hey, I want to sing till the feeling gets right. Well, let's harmonize. We'll be dynamite. I showed all the high notes, I've done it for years Good deal, old buddy, and I'll pour the beers There's always some lady alone at the bar Yeah, and you always let her know just who you are I know a couple gals that we can call Damn, they'll shake the picture right off of you Wall, we're, we're barroom buddies and that's the best kind Nobody fools with a buddy of mine I laugh when you're happy And I cry when you're blue we're barroom buddies and we're doing fine So pour me another, we got nothing but time Old chug-a-lug-a-luggin', barroom buddy of mine You know, that again was targeted specifically for for them And so we knew it was going to be a country song no, and, You know, there's no way Lionel Richie was going <laughs> to sing barroom buddies right. You know, <laughs> so, so you just you just never know I, I you know, again, I, I don't sit down and say, hey, I'm going to try to write a song for uh, Barbara Streisand today. I, I, I just don't. I, I just try to write a song that, that I'm happy with and and, uh, and hopefully someone uh, comes along that it's good for. But didn't Babs reach out to you at one point with a song idea? Yeah, well, uh, she's recorded five of mine now, and um, the, the, the only time she asked for a specific idea was the idea uh, of, uh, that she had and um, it was called um, Love's Never Wrong for, for the Walls album Love's never wrong No matter who you love And when you do find love Don't let it go No, the 
talk about all these songs and all these different artists and then you're also the guy that wrote as long as we've got each other the beloved theme of growing pains and you've worked in so much television as well it's just remarkable talk a little bit about that song and and the difference i guess writing for tv as opposed to you know just regular old songwriting yeah well that it's really the reason I went to California was to try to. I wanted to write orchestral music for film and and uh, and movies. And um, the songwriting really got me going. You know, I mean, every which way that loose was my breakthrough film project. Then all of a sudden, I started getting offers to do television. I started scoring um, some uh, TV movies. And then along came a call to do a uh, my first uh, series, which was Spencer for Hire, and uh, which was an instrumental theme. And then along came Growing Things, which was a pilot that they asked me to score the episodes and write a theme song for Show me that smile Ooh, Show me that smile Don't waste another minute on your crying We're nowhere near the end We're nowhere near the best is ready to begin Oh As long as we got each other We can take anything that comes our way then they let you write 60 second or 30 second themes right um which don't exist anymore on television and uh, for the most part and so once i got on a roll uh, you know hits you know success breeds more success all of a sudden i was doing so much television um that i the songwriting thing kind of went on the back burner for a couple of years because i was doing you know, I did Murphy Brown at Warner's. I did Growing Pains. I did the spinoff, Just the Ten of Us. Then Universal asked me to do Major Dad, uh, Uncle Buck, and uh, uh, I know I'm leaving a few out. Murder, oh, I wrote, did Murder, Columbo. She Wrote, and Columbo. <laughs> yeah, I started doing a bunch of those and then kept doing movies, television movies, as well as features. And uh, I was really loving doing that. But then I got back to... Um, you know, doing what I love the most, and that's writing, you know, three and a half, four minute songs and for artists. And uh, again, the, the versatility of my career, uh, I just, you know, I, I never planned it. It just kind of happened. You know, I feel extremely blessed and fortunate that I got to do all of that. And, and I'm still doing that. It, it's pretty, you know, it's it's pretty rare. Uh, you know, I, I don't know too many, you know, of course, you know, Bacharach, Mancini, they were my idols and, and they had the kind of career that I wanted. You know, they did film and they did instrumental music and 
did orchestral music and they were great songwriters. So that, you know, that's kind of what I patterned what I wanted to do after, after them. Was it after that period of time doing all that uh, television and movie stuff that when you decided to focus again on the three and four minute songs that uh, you, you wrote one of the most loved country songs of all time. And, and the story behind it is fantastic. And having done over 35 years in country radio, I'd never heard this story until I was <laughs> researching our interview. Would you please share that? Yeah, I crossed my heart was, uh, uh, you know, for, I, I'll preface that by saying that most people don't realize how long it takes from the time a song is written or born in, in someone's piano or, or guitar room to the time they hear it on the radio. In the case of I Cross My Heart, um, Eric Kaz and I wrote that with Boys to Men in mind. And our first demo was, was kind of an R&B, uh, vibey uh, demo, um, pop song. Pop R&B is what I would call it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, nobody, nobody liked it. Um, <laughs> everybody passed on it. Everybody would say, Steve, it's, it's nice, but not one of your best. And I played that song. I went back in and re-demoed it with a girl. And, and lo and behold, Bette Midler recorded it. And um, Bette, uh, to her credit, about three weeks before the album was going to come out and they told me this was going to win an Academy Award and dust your shelf off. This is just the record of the year. They called me and said, uh, Bet's decided that she doesn't like the way she sounds on it. Mm. And she took it off the album. And, um, I played that song for everyone I knew for the next six or seven years. And everybody had the same reaction. Nice. Not one of your best. And along comes a movie called Pure Country with George Strait starring in it. And I was hired to do the score. And about three weeks before they were going to shoot the love scene at the end of the movie, the director called me and said, Steve, I don't have the song for the end of this movie. Do you have something? And, uh, you know, I had obviously read the script, so I knew I knew what the what what the story was. And I said, uh, Chris was the, Chris Kane was the director. I said, Chris, I've got a song that I couldn't write a better song for this spot than a song that I have in my catalog. And he said, what is it? And I said, it's a song called I Cross My Heart. And I sent it over to him and he called me back and he said, that's the song. And we went down to Nashville and played it for George and his um, people. And they we're kind of lukewarm to it because it was not a really? George Strait typical song. No yeah. way. No way. Yep. And, uh, we had to pretty much, uh, twist some arms to get him to agree <laughs> to do it. And, uh, and once he sang it, it was the right, you know, the perfect marriage of a voice to a song. Uh, and then, uh, became the, the main song from the movie. And, you know, we sold 8 million albums and, and it became uh, CMT called it the uh, the ninth greatest country love song ever written which is kind of uh, strange because it was not written as a country song you know it's just <laughs> our love is unconditional we knew it from the start I see it in your eyes 
can feel it from my heart From here on after Let's stay the way we are right now And share all the love and laughter That a lifetime will allow I cross my heart And promise to Give all I've got to give To make all your dreams come true In all the world You'll never find A love as true as mine That's the quick version of that story. Oh my God, what do you have to do to get people to listen to you? George didn't like Heartland either. He, he did not like that song. Which is a uh, huge departure for him. I would call that a much bigger departure than uh, than Cross My Heart. Yep. It was more of him playing the role the, the right. role of Dusty, not really George Strait. That, uh, and it was an integral uh, part of the movie, the opening of the movie. Uh, it had to be more of a rock, rockety thing because the character in the movie runs away from that to go back to his country group. Yeah, plus he's got the and, ponytail. Uh, exactly. Cross My Heart was really ultimately uh, a case, even though George was lukewarm to it, but I've heard other writers uh, talk about this too. The the song, or I think it's the song will find the singer, or the singer will find the song. that They'll find each other. Yes, I, I always say, in, unless you have that right marriage uh, of, of the right voice with the right song, it's, it's not going to be a hit. Because uh, I have, uh, you know, in the case of... A case of a lot of my songs that were recorded first by uh, someone else. It's not that they're not great song, the great singers. Uh, it just wasn't the right song for them. You know, there's that magic that happens when the right voice sings the right song. Well, it, Steve Dorf, it has been an awesome uh, time talking with you for the last half hour. I just I want to wrap up by saying, and I hope I'm, I'm not overstepping my bounds by saying this. I've talked to so many. Uh, of Nashville's biggest country songwriters uh, with this podcast over the last several years. And so many of them have uh, mentioned your son. They've either written a song with him, uh, Andrew Dorf. Mm -hmm. Um, He was beloved and, and he is very much missed and, you just he was just getting started on his his songwriting journey, and he was already a fantastic songwriter. And just the yeah. uh, the superlatives about him uh, just keep coming. Well, I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, uh, Andrew was brilliant, great writer. He had five big number one songs in in the space of six or seven years mm-hmm. before his untimely passing. And um, 
I miss him every second of every day and uh, work real hard to, to make sure that some of his unrecorded songs uh, become big hits. And oh, wow. uh, that's his legacy. And, uh, he's, he's got a great song on Carrie Underwood's last album. He's got a, a great song, uh, Three, by Old Dominion that were never that were never released as singles. But Andrew's catalog is, is incredible, and uh, I really appreciate you mentioning him. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I know you've got a busy schedule. You're a busy guy. I appreciate you saying yes to this interview today because it sounds like that's all you've oh. done your entire life, and it's worked out pretty well for you. <laughs> no, thank you, Tom, and, and, and this was really fun. I, I appreciate you uh, having And with that, and before we wrap up, it feels kind of appropriate to let you hear some of the songs that Steve Dorff's son, Andrew, had a big hand in helping write. Cause the sun's too bright, the sky's too blue, the air's too cold to be thinking about. You're gonna take this heartbreak and tuck it away, save it for a rainy day. There's a neon light at the end of the tunnel. It ain't Thanks again to the multi-talented Steve Dorff, and thank you for checking out this month's episode. If you have songwriting friends, share it with them. If you have time, like the podcast, rate it, give it a review. And next month, he's one of the highest-profile young singer-songwriters in country music, and in November was named the CMA New Male Artist of the Year. But you're gonna make me want to We were summer young and living for a Friday And freedom was a Jimmy Allen, next time on Write You a Song. You saw a spark inside of me that no one else could find. Your good morning eyes that get me high.